Hey, Proof listeners, Kevin here to tell you about a show called Mystery Recipe from our friends over on the kids team at America's Test Kitchen. I'm here today with the host, editor-in-chief of America's Test Kitchen Kids, and my pal, Molly Birnbaum. How's it going, Molly? It's going really well, Kevin. So excited to be here. How are you? I'm doing awesome. So tell me about Mystery Recipe for someone who's never heard of the show before. So Mystery Recipe is a podcast for kids ages four and up and their grown-ups. Our seasons are eight weeks long plus a grand finale cook-along. And every week we explore the fun and fantastical sides of a new kitchen ingredient. And at the end of the season, we use them all to cook a mystery recipe together. So I hear you've got a lot of special guests and friends who drop by the show, right? Oh, we sure do. There are tons of people in this podcast, both real and fictional, but my favorite is my co-host, and that is Mitzi the Oven Mitt. Oh, Mitzi's my favorite. So Molly, what do we have to look forward to this season of Mystery Recipe? There is so much to look forward to this season. I can't tell you specifics because it is, after all, a mystery, but there is trivia, there are science experiments with kids, there are interviews with the ingredients themselves. This show is really weird and quirky and delightful in all of our favorite ways. It's such a fun listen and a great way to learn about food. Yeah, that's why I love Mystery Recipes so much. I've got a five-and-a-half-year-old. I know you got two young kids, too, Molly. And this is a show that is not just great for kids to listen to, but it's really fun for adults to listen to as well. So really, it's a show for everyone in the family, right? Oh, yeah. It's a show for everyone. I mean, I am biased, but I love listening to Mystery Recipe. It makes me laugh. I learn new things myself, and my kids, especially my four-year-old, just love listening on. And Mitzi is a real favorite of my daughter, Olive. So how can our listeners check out Mystery Recipe? You can find Mystery Recipe anywhere you get your podcasts, like Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or by going to atkkids.com slash mystery recipe. Well, we've got an extra special episode for Proof listeners today. I was happy to be a guest on Mystery Recipe to talk about one of my favorite subjects. Spoiler alert, it's mayonnaise. We have that episode here to share with all of you. So if you've got any young chefs at home, then gather around. And as we say on Mystery Recipe... Keep Keep on on cooking. cooking. Hey, welcome to Mistrap. Wait, what? I'm abbreviating, Molly. Just go with it. Alrighty then. I'm Molly Birnbaum, Editor-in-Chief of America's Test Kitchen Kids. I'm it. I'm it. And that is Mitzi. Oven Mitt, my right-hand gal and co-host on the show. Right, that's what I just said. Every week on Mystery Recipe, we'll be talking about the fun, fantastical, and fascinating sides of a different kitchen ingredient. Ooh, and sees we all ingredients cook a mistrap together. Can you guess what? So far, we know we'll be using pepper and mayonnaise. Is day two of Mayo Week. Yes, it is day two of Mayo Week. And today, our intern Susie is back for a saucy round of science in our tricky trivia segment, followed by an umami interview in Ask a Grown-Up. Mmm, Drea here for Hut. Mitzi, this abbreviating is getting a little out of hand, don't you think? No, I don't think so. Quick, to the dream! Let's 
good. I bet it tastes good. Good. Cause Ms. Rap Hap. Mm, you. Her. Mystery recipe. So, Mitzi, what is the deal with all the abbreviations? Well, Molly, it's Mayo Week after all, and I thought mayo was so much cooler than saying mayonnaise. So, I figured if mayo makes mayonnaise cooler, then abbreviating everything else on the show will make it even cooler, too. Well, I'm not sure that... Hi, friends! Suze! Mitz! Sup, Suze? I'm super duper, Mitzi. How are you doing? Good. Cause Ms. Rap Hap. N you. Her. Wait, what? She's good because Mystery Recipe is happening and because you are here. Yeah. Oh, you understood that, Molly? Barely. What's with the new lingo, Mitzi? She's excited about abbreviations because it's Mayo Week. Oh, I soups love a breeze, too. I totes get it, Mitzi. It's legit so fun. I like using initialisms, too. Do you ever use those? Initialisms? What's that? Well, it's like using the first letter of each word to turn a whole sentence into one phrase. Then you say each letter separately, like LOL. What's LOL mean, Susie? LOL means laughing out loud. Wow! Uh, that's like a whole sentence in one word. That's soups abbreviated. For real. I'm gonna go look up some more initialisms. Got to go. I'll be right back. Actually, Mitzi, you could say GTG, BRB. Gah! So speedy. I love it. BYE. Bye, Mitzi. Well, while Mitzi is looking up initialisms, are you ready for our next segment? Super duper ready. It is time for Tricky Trivia. I'm going to give you a fact about our ingredient theme, and you have to help our listeners guess if it's true or false. Let's do it! Okay. True or false. You can use mayonnaise instead of butter to get perfectly toasted golden brown bread on the outside of a grilled cheese sandwich. So, Susie, is this true or false? Can you use mayonnaise instead of butter to get perfectly toasted golden brown bread on the outside of a grilled cheese sandwich? Molly, I love this question. Mostly because that's one of my favorite kitchen hacks to make one of my favorite sandwiches. That's great. Sounds like you might have an idea as to what the answer is then. Sure do. This one is true. Do you mind if I explain why? Nice job. This one is definitely true. Explain away. Okay, listeners, I know it might sound a little funny to put mayonnaise on the outside of a sandwich, but like Molly said, it super helps the bread turn a nice brown color. You know how brown food is delicious, like a really nice brown steak or, oh, roasted broccoli? Yum! Anyway, bread does the same thing. I think you all covered this a little bit all the way back in Onion Week, in Season 1, Week 1. We did. Nice memory there, Susie. Thanks! When a food gets to about 250 degrees, the proteins and sugars start to break down and combine, creating that brown color and loads of new flavor compounds. It happens when you make regular plain old toast, but the reaction is more intense when you use mayonnaise on the outside. Mayo contains egg yolks and a little bit of sugar. The protein in the egg yolks plus sugar help maximize the reaction and amp up the browning. Awesome job explaining that one. 
I'll just add that you don't really taste the mayonnaise when it's used for that purpose. So even people who don't normally like the taste of mayo can still use this technique. Hooray! Let's move on to the next one. True or false, Susie? In 2017, Michigan State University used mayonnaise converted into energy to power up a portion of their campus. What do you think, Susie? Is this true or false? Did Michigan State University use mayonnaise as their power source? Oh, that's a fun one. Hmm. I mean, I'm well aware of vegetable oil being converted into a biodiesel for cars. And I know I've heard of other food waste being used as an energy source, which is super awesome and great for the environment. But I can't remember how that happened. I know I read about it. It's so cool. But how? Ugh, there's a word for that on the tip of my tongue. Well, how about you give me a true or false and maybe I can help you out in the explanation. That sounds great, Molly. I'm going to say this question is just too specific to make up. I can't imagine you pretending a specific school would do something this wild. So I'm going to say true. Michigan State University did use mayonnaise as an energy source. Right again. Want to hear why? Do I ever? In 2017, the university was delivered 500 two-and-a-half-gallon jugs of mayonnaise that were meant to be used in the dining hall. But the mayonnaise got too cold in the delivery truck and all the ingredients separated and made it unusable for eating. Luckily, MSU has an anaerobic digester. Ah, that was the word I couldn't think of. An anaerobic digester converts food waste into energy. Microorganisms break down the organic material, in this case, the ruined mayonnaise, without the presence of oxygen. That creates something called biogas, which can be used as heat or electricity. See? Super duper cool! Agreed. Anyway, a bunch of volunteers helped feed all that mayonnaise to the anaerobic digester, which helped power some of the farms on campus. Well, I bet all the mayo haters can agree that mayo can't be all bad, especially if you can use it as an environmentally friendly energy source. Very true. All right, last one. True or false? Miracle Whip is the second most popular mayonnaise sold in the United States. Well, this one's a total guess for me. I'm going to say true because I think Miracle Whip is a great name and marketing is a very important part of sales. Sorry, Susie, that one is actually false, because Miracle Whip isn't actually mayonnaise. In order for mayonnaise to be labeled as mayonnaise in the U.S., it has to contain a minimum of 65% vegetable oil by weight. Miracle Whip doesn't meet that requirement, so while it looks like mayonnaise and tastes kind of similar, it's a totally different product. How much vegetable oil does it have, then? Well, the company that makes Miracle Whip, Kraft, actually keeps that percentage a secret. But our science editor, who does math just to amuse himself, looked at the label and saw that 15 grams of Miracle Whip contains 3.5 grams of fat. That's less than 25%. Well, I definitely didn't know that. Learn something new every day, huh? I do indeed. Thank you for teaching me that, Molly. Thanks for playing today, Susie. Hello. Hey, Mitzi. Welcome back! How's the abbreviation ideation going? Abbreviation ideation? Like the abbreviation brainstorm? Oh, it's going great! FYI, I have discovered a ton more initialisms. 
Oh, nice one, Mitzi. Any others? Oh, IDK. JK, I know lots. Like, here, do you want to listen to this CD? How about we watch this DVD instead? Just don't pirate the movie or I'll have to call the FBI. Need some cash? I can head to the ATM. LOL, OMG, I love those, Mitzi. Thanks. Hey, do you know what would make us really LOL or even ROFL? AKA, roll on the floor laughing. Oh, AKA, that's also known as. By the way, BTW, what if we made up our own initialisms? That sounds fun. I'll think some up, and then you can both try and guess what they are. Sound good? Sounds good. Okay, BRB. Oh, <laughs> hey there, Mitzi. Hey, Chad. FYI, I G2G, TTYL. Talk to you later, Mitzi. Did she just learn about initialisms or something? That's exactly right. Hi, Chad. Hi, Susie. How's it going, Molly? Doing great. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm excited for this week's Ask a Grown-Up. This week on Ask a Grown-Up, we're going to be talking all about umami. My mommy? No, umami. It's a taste. But we'll get into that in just a second. First up, it's time for a word from our sponsors. Grown-ups, these ads are for you. And we're back. So, Chad, what are we learning about today in Ask a Grown-Up? Well, today I wanted to talk all about a very specific kind of mayonnaise, a brand called Kewpie Mayo from Japan. And so I talked to a big fan of theirs who also happens to be on staff here at America's Test Kitchen. I'm Kevin Pang. I work with Molly at America's Test Kitchen, and I'm in charge of the website, and also I host a podcast called Proof. I started at the beginning by asking Kevin, what is Kewpie Mayo? What is Kewpie Mayo? Well, it is a mayonnaise that you can find in Japan, and it's pretty much the only mayonnaise that matters. If you go to Japan, you'll see these bottles. It's a clear plastic bottle. It's got a red cap on top, and uh, you can just recognize it from the bottle itself. Really, I would say 98% of the time, if you're in Japan and you're asking for mayonnaise, you're going to get Kewpie mayonnaise. And what really sets Kewpie mayo apart from the kinds of mayonnaise that might be easier to find here in the U.S. is, of course, the taste. So Kewpie mayonnaise tastes different from all other types of mayonnaise, I think. You kind of get uh, some sweetness from it. It's a little bit more tangier. You know, there's nothing too much on the extremes. It's very much kind of a smooth flavor. There's a bit of sweet, a bit of sour, a bit of saltiness, and it all sort of works together really, really nicely. But there is something about Japanese Kewpie mayo that just... You know, once you taste it, and you really can't get enough of it. A lot of this magic flavor comes from their very top-notch ingredients as well. Finding out exactly what they are is a bit tough. It's sort of a secret, but Kevin has done a lot of research on the subject. Well, Kewpie likes to keep their recipe really close to the chest, but what I can tell you is that it uses egg yolks, and they also have a special blend of vinegars. Uh, they won't tell me which ones, but I know that there's red wine vinegar and there's rice vinegar, and there's also something called MSG. And MSG is really the flavor that produces this taste sensation called umami. 
we can't talk about Kewpie Mayo's flavor without using the word umami, which might be a new word for a lot of our listeners. I asked Kevin for some help explaining what umami means. Well, I think we all know what salty and sweet and sour and bitter taste like. Well, umami was discovered by Japanese scientists about 120 years ago, and they call it the fifth taste. For a very long time, food scientists had thought of people as having four basic tastes. Sweet, sour, salty, and bitter. But in the early 1900s, Professor Kikunai Ikeda of the Tokyo Imperial University realized that there was a taste a lot of savory foods had in common, which didn't quite fit into these categories. It was a fifth basic taste. He called this taste umami. I think the best way to say is it's kind of close to salty, but it's not really salty. It's more savory. If you ever had mushrooms or if you've had grated Parmesan cheese, or you had a really good tomato and it tastes savory and rounded and a little bit salty, that's what umami is. It's super hard to describe, but when you taste it, you know exactly what it tastes like. Professor Kikunai figured out that this umami taste comes from something called MSG, which he first identified in kombu seaweed. And while MSG might sound like some kind of secret ingredient that's developed in a lab, it isn't. It's a flavor compound, molecules that give taste to the foods we eat that happens naturally. Like tomatoes, for example, happen to have a naturally high MSG content. Exactly. So MSG is monosodium glutamate and is found in some of your favorite foods, tomatoes, cheeses, soy sauce. So now that we know what sets Kewpie mayo apart, what should we be using it on? Wow, I think I've had Kewpie mayonnaise on just about everything. And this is something that if you go to Japan, you're going to see mayo on food that you might not expect. You're going to see Kewpie mayonnaise on noodles called yakisoba noodles. They use Kewpie mayonnaise as a dip for fried chicken. Uh, you might even use Kewpie mayonnaise as a batter for crispy shrimp. And certainly, if you've ever had sushi, if you've had a spicy tuna roll, the mayonnaise inside a spicy tuna roll is almost always made with Kewpie mayonnaise. I don't know about you, but this segment has me hungry for a BLT sandwich. And the good news is Kewpie mayo isn't very hard to find in the U.S., if you go to a Whole Foods, you might find it. You can certainly get it online. But if you go to most Asian grocery stores, you'll definitely find Kewpie mayonnaise there. Just find the clear plastic bottle with the red cap on top. That's Kewpie mayonnaise. Special thanks to Kevin Pang for taking the time to discuss one of his favorite subjects with us on the show. Grownups, if you want to hear more from Kevin, he is the new host of the ATK podcast Proof, which plunges into history, culture, science, and psyche to uncover the hidden backstories that feed our food-obsessed brains. The latest season of Proof is available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for that story, Chad. Thanks, Molly. I'll see you all next week. Hey, Susie. Think you're feeling up for another segment? If you are referring to how-to time, then I am most certainly feeling ready. Great. Well, Susie, we want you to practice your cooking techniques while you're our intern this season. And so every week, our friend Andrea is going to teach you something new to up your arsenal of kitchen skills. That's right. Hey, here's Andrea now. 
Andrea is a test cook here at America's Test Kitchen Kids. That means she works on developing recipes and experiments for our cookbooks and things like the Young Chef's Club boxes. You can find out more about all that fun stuff by going to atkkids.com. Hi, friends. Hi, Andrea. I'm super excited you're here. What are we going to learn this week? Well, since it's Mayo Week this week, did you know that you can actually make your own mayo at home? I did know that. In fact, doesn't ATK Kids have their own mayo recipe in their complete DIY cookbook for young chefs available wherever books are sold? Of course you already know this, Susie. You really do your homework before these segments, don't you? Well, yes. We do have a mayo recipe in the DIY cookbook, and in that recipe, we ask chefs to use a food processor. And so I thought today's lesson could be all about how to use a food processor. Wow! I've never used a food processor before. Is it hard? Not at all, but we do want to make sure we're using it properly and safely. First things first, do you know what a food processor is? Yep. A food processor is a kitchen tool that's used for chopping and mincing ingredients. You can also use it to make smooth sauces and dips and mix doughs. A food processor consists of four main parts. The base, which holds the motor, that's the part that has the power and pulse buttons on it. The bowl, which is where you put your ingredients. The blade, which is the part that spins and does the actual chopping, mincing, and grinding. And the lid, which goes on top of the bowl to keep ingredients inside and everything else outside. That's exactly right. I have a food processor set up for us right here. One thing I should mention before we start is that the blade in a food processor is very sharp. Always ask an adult for help when putting the blade into the food processor or taking it out. Safety first, super duper important. Always. Okay, so now we can put in our ingredients. I have some frozen berries here for us to practice with. Can you grab those and dump them in, Susie? Happy to, I love berries. Perfect job. Okay, the last step before actually processing is to put on the lid and lock it into place. Locking the lid is very important, both for safety and because most food processors won't even turn on unless the lid is properly locked. Fit the lid onto the bowl and turn it until it's locked. You'll probably hear it click and lock into place. I did hear it. Can I turn it on now? Just one more thing. There are two basic ways to use a food processor. You can pulse ingredients or process ingredients. What's the difference? When recipes say to pulse, that means to turn on the processor for one second and then turn it off in quick bursts. There's usually a pulse button on the food processor just for this job. When would I want to pulse something, Andrea? Pulse is typically used for chopping and mincing ingredients. Pulse helps chop or mince ingredients more evenly because the food moves around the bowl with every pulse. Do you want to try it? Do I ever? That was loud, but the berries are all chopped up into small pieces. Yeah, food processors can be loud sometimes, depending on what you put in them. Hard ingredients like frozen fruit or nuts will be louder than something like oil or dough. Good to know. Okay, I feel good about pulsing. What about processing? When a recipe says to process, that means to turn on the processor and let it run for a specific amount of time. This is best for mixing and pureeing ingredients, like when you're making a pizza sauce or hummus. 
When you process ingredients, you will typically break them down further and faster than pulsing. Go ahead and process those berries and see what happens. You got it. Oh, wow. Now it looks like a berry smoothie. Yum. I love smoothies. My favorite one is kale mango pineapple. Yum! An informative segment plus a delicious berry snack? Best day ever! Well, I'm glad you liked it. I'll see you next week, pal. Bye, Andrea! Hi, friends! I'm back with some mystery recipe initialisms. Oh, boy! This is going to be the cutest game ever. I am very excited. Me too, me too, me too! Ah! Okay, are you ready for your first one? Ready. Okay. T-T-T-S. Hmm. T-T-T-S. Oh, I got it. To the theme song. Yes, to the theme song. (laughs) Uh, Not actually. We're just playing a game. Sorry. Sorry. Okay, here's another one. G-G-M. Hmm, G-G-M? Is that gah? Golly Molly? Yes! Yeah! Golly Molly, you got it. Of course you did. <laughs> nice one, Molly. Okay, one more. Ready? Ready! This is so fun! K-O-C. K-O-C? K-O-C. K-O-C. Oh, I know that one, Mitzi! It's Keep On Cooking! Yes, that's right. Our sign-off to every episode. Speaking of, we're about out of time for today. That's right. But don't worry, we'll BRB with another goopy episode. We'll be taking things slowly with our pressing questions segment, followed by some game show fun in our wildcard. And remember, at the end of the season, we'll be using all of our ingredients in a very special mystery recipe to cook together. Can you guess what it is? If you love Mystery Recipe, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode. And feel free to leave us a review. We love reading them. Until then, KOC! Mystery Recipe is hosted by me, Molly Birnbaum, and I am a Sour Patch Kid. Chad Chennai is our writer and producer. He's a peanut butter cup. Our executive producer is Caitlin Kelleher. She's a lemon meringue pie. Andrea Vavjin is a Biscoff cookie, and Katie O'Hara is a chocolate brownie cookie, and they are both contributing writers on our show. Scoring, sound design, and mixing by Anya Jeshik, strawberry shortcake, and Matt Boynton, an orange creamsicle, of ultraviolet audio. Jonathan Roberts composed our theme music and is a key lime pie. Our director of post-production is Jen Margolis. She's a cannoli. Our line producer is Diane Knox, who is a chocolate lava cake. Jack Bishop is the chief creative officer of America's Test Kitchen. He's a lattice-top peach pie. David Nussbaum is our CEO, and he's chocolate avocado pudding. Special thanks to our senior science editor, Paul Adams, executive editor, Kristen Sargianis, Executive Food Editor, Susanna McFerrin. Associate Art Director, Gabby Hamanoff. Senior Editor, Afton Cyrus. Associate Editors, Katie O'Hara and Tess Berger. 
Tess Cooks, Andrea Vavjan, and Cassandra Laughlin, and assistant Tess Cook, Kristen Bango. This episode featured the voices of Kira O'Sullivan and Brianna Maya. Special thanks to Kevin Pang. Grownups, if you want to hear more from Kevin, check out ATK's podcast for adults, Proof, wherever you get your podcasts or at americastestkitchen.com slash proof. Thanks again to our sponsors, Kroger, Driscoll's, and Green Pan. Mystery Recipe is a production of America's Test Kitchen Kids. Hey, are you all still coming up with initialisms? Because I think I thought of a couple. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. H-E-L-L-O. Hello? You got it. I don't know if that's an initialism. Okay, okay. How about this one? See you later, but the later is spelt with an eight in it. Uh, see you later? Yes. Well, you're getting closer. 